So most of y'all who certainly here and, and many people who watch Tommy's great work of these videos also listen to Sam Solon's teaching. And Sam did a teaching uh, last month concerning the four horsemen of Revelation 6. Um, today I want to focus on primarily the fourth of, of the six, or fourth of the five, I guess, <coughs> uh, of those horsemen. And certainly, I mean, in Revelation, John is, is writing, and he's looking at this at what I would call at the end of days, at the end of time. He, he's given the depiction of the fullness of this thing coming forth and what would be the approaching of the millennium and the curtailment of days as we know it today. And that's, that's John's uh, look at it. So I want to read to you. It said, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name of death and Hades. <clears throat> excuse me, name of death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. 25% of the earth will, be, will lose their life. <clears throat> they have been given the authority, and the authority was given by the voice within the, the four creatures, which is, is the voice of God or the voice of Christ. Uh, the lion and the lamb, and he's giving over this authority. He who has all authority in heaven and on earth is giving this authority to those things to kill a fourth of the people with sword, which today I would call aggression. Uh, sword was in his day. Famine, pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. <clears throat> and like I said, this is, appears to be at the end of time and the culmination, the fullness. Some people think we're rapidly approaching that today, and that's one of the reasons it's being taught. Uh, I don't disagree with that, but, but that's not the side of it I want to look at. <clears throat> I want you to think back a little bit, and I want you to recognize how we know that God is unchanging. We know, I, I believe, and I think most of you believe, that God loves man, and it's his desire that none should perish, and that it's always been his nature to woo mankind to him, to draw him through his son Jesus Christ. He wants to draw man to him so that we might be reconciled to him. And in so much that he even provided the sacrifice of his own son. He didn't, he didn't require anything of us. He did it all. That's how bad he wanted this. But we know that he has a nature that is, that's without change throughout time. And what I'd like to call to your attention today is how it's always been God's nature to use things like pestilence and famine and plagues and wild beasts to benefit man, to free man to set them free. <clears throat> Think back to uh, when Israel was in Egypt 
and and this is going to be our template for this thing. But when Egypt, when Israel was in Egypt, and God wanted to free them, how did He do it? Pestilence, uh, famine, plagues came on the people that caused the nation of Egypt to not only release them but to overwhelm them with the goods necessary to make the transition to the promised land. So God used these things for the benefit of mankind to free them from what they were entrapped in. Now man being man, what did he do? He grumbled. And he went out into the desert, which could have been, uh, I think, a very short trip to the promised land. God pulled them out, remember, and he had promised them a land uh, flowing with milk and honey. And I think it could have been a short trip, but because of the lack of gratitude and the grumbling and complaining, God was forced to kill off nearly all of two generations out in the desert. He killed off certainly the first generation. And as far as we know from Scripture, only two people went in from the second generation Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two. Everybody else had to die off because they grumbled and all. But more than what they did grumbling, <clears throat> they were routinely looking for a way to go back to Egypt. They didn't like daily bread. They didn't like the water that came from the rock. They didn't like the quail that from, fell from the sky. They weren't appreciative of the, the pillar of fire nor the cloud. The cloud that kept them cool in the day and the pillar of fire that kept them warm at night and showed them their way. They didn't like any of that. And they would, it would basically saying, take us back to Egypt where we know what goes on. And we'll, let us be a slave in Egypt. Don't let us die out here in the desert. But they were constantly fighting to get back to Egypt, try to get back there and make those things that way. When all along God had a plan for a land flowing with milk and honey. If you look at Ezekiel 1421, <clears throat> just a second, let me find this. I actually started in 19, I think. And it, we hear this in Ezekiel, but we also heard it in Jeremiah. You'll hear it in Daniel, probably some of the other minor prophets. The prophets of God, those true prophets speaking on God's behalf, making these declarations, and you're going to see a common thread of the nature of God here <clears throat> that we're going to talk about. It says, Or if I should send a plague against that country and pour out my wrath and blood on it <clears throat> to cut it off from man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the midst, <clears throat> as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. <clears throat> and here's the key one, 1421. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beast, and plagues to cut off man. If we, if we understand this, the times here, uh, he's speaking about Jerusalem, which represented the city of God. He's, he has been, Ezekiel has been, Jeremiah has been, Daniel will talk about Israel and uh, Judah, the two tribes 
that God's really addressing. And what he's addressing is their failure to follow him, their failure to uh, adhere to the covenant that was made uh, both with Abraham, with, with uh, Moses, uh, through how, they would, how their culture would be developed. And they forgot. And you remember the Israelites, even when they came into the land of milk and honey, they forgot the ways of God. And they began to marry foreigners. They began to worship foreign gods. They, they built for themselves idols and, and temples to, in the mountains to, to different gods, primarily Baal. Uh, they brought some of that worship into the temple in Jerusalem. But they just totally abandoned God's ways and uh, worshiped other gods, created for them what God accused them of was being idolatry, accused them of idolatry and being adulterous, committing adultery with other gods, basically meaning loving other gods more than they love God. Uh, you know, and so he, one of his methods to free them from this false worship was plagues, pestilence, wild beasts, and famines. Did it in, with Egypt to free them from Egypt? Did it here to free them from themselves, from their wicked ways, to free, their, free them from their, what we would call immoral behavior. And then he, we see in Revelation it's going to happen again. If we look, um, and we've talked about it in here, in Romans 1, Paul gives us a description of what our culture will look like when we fail to retain God in our knowledge. And I think there's 32 characteristics, none of them very good. Uh, lovers of self, jealous, envy, you know, all kinds of things. He also does it in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days. Uh, mankind will become lovers of themselves, lovers uh, of the things of the world. Envy, jealousy, gossips, you know, all kinds of things. Lovers, and he specifically says it, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. They have, we have committed adultery with pleasure over uh, loving God. Now, my, my point to you is this. You see God doing this thing over and over and over. And I think we used to teach that what happened to the nation of Israel was punishment. But it was really benefit. I mean, he used these things to free them from Egypt, to take them into the promised land. When the nation of Israel, and, and in particular the two tribes that, that were so special to God, began to worship falsely, he brought these things in to free them from that uh, idolatry, free them from their, their ways. We know from Second Chronicles 7 that the problem never was the world. The problem was always God's people. If, if the people who are called by my name will pray, repent, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal their land. Didn't say anything about the world. It talked about us, if we would change. We're, we're five months into this plague uh, that shouldn't have ever come in, I think is what I hear somebody say. Should have never been here. Should have never got out of China. But this plague is here, and it's all over the globe. The purpose of it is 
is to free, one of the purposes, let me rephrase that, one of the purposes is to free us from ourselves. We are the very things that uh, Romans says and that, Tim, that Paul says in Timothy. We have begun to love the world more than we love God. If you, in Revelations, if you go back to the, the first three horsemen, one of them, the first one is deception. We've been deceived and we don't even understand how much we, how much idolatry and adultery we are committing with false gods. It's, it's nearly, uh, well, it, because of the deception, we don't even, we're not even conscious of it. We don't have. Now, I, I have a little test I tell people. <clears throat> if you will honestly answer, what do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time doing? And what do you spend your money on? You'll have a pretty good idea wh what your false gods may be or what lords over us, what, what consumes us. can be work, can be fun, can be... Uh, our children can be um, football, golf, you know, any of these things. It can be lots of, lots of different things that could possibly lord over us. And that's, it's an individual examination that we all have to do. But this is what God's trying to free us from. When he said that in the last days we'll become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of him. I mean, used to. We'd run home on Saturday afternoon and kick on the NCAA football game and then Sunday we'd do the NFL or the NBA or whatever, or we'd go to the movies or we'd go do this. We were always entertaining ourselves, always pleasuring ourselves, always looking for comfort for this thing. And it's not that football or baseball or basketball, any of those are inherently evil in themselves. It's the place they hold in our heart. When God examines our heart, how big an emphasis do those things have? But what I would call your attention to is this. When God did this in Egypt, his idea was to take the nation of Israel into a place where there's no toil. You remember in the eighth chapter of Genesis, after the flood, God removed the curse that was on the ground that had caused toil. And said, I'll never put, the never put the curse back on the ground, even though man's heart's turned toward evil all his days. So God never intended for us to be toiling. He had in mind a kingdom that was without toil, that where milk and honey flowed. And the, the people of Israel were just striving to get back to Egypt, to get rid of, you know, rather than looking with anticipation toward uh, a perfect kingdom, they were looking for going back. Now we know, uh, we know from uh, Scripture that there is an eternal kingdom where everything will be perfect, where we won't have these things. They'll all be there. Uh and we can, we can rejoice in that thing. But I think there's one here on earth, a type and shadow here on earth for us, that God does in, intend for his kingdom to rise up. 
and for uh, the mountain of the Lord to rise up and for that kingdom typified by the, the, by the promised land to the nation of Israel, but uh, also a shadow of eternal uh, kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God for us. But here we are in the midst of this pandemic, and I say to you, what if God really is sovereign? And what if God really does have a better idea? And what if God actually does see the end ever since the beginning, and he knows what he wants to do? And he, he intends to feed us with daily manna. You remember, Scripture says that God said he would uh, give us grain, new wine, and oil that would satisfy us fully. Grain, new wine, and oil that would satisfy us fully. For me, the grain represents the, the bread of heaven, that God will give us our daily manna, and everything we need, the wisdom, the understanding, will come down from heaven uh, through the grain, through the bread of life. The blood, <clears throat> represented by the new wine, the blood that washed away our sins, the reconciling act, reconciling act of Jesus Christ, uh, reconciling us to God our Father in heaven. And then the oil is the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in our thinking and in our acting and, and all that. He's going to make those things satisfy us fully. But what are we doing? We're saying, no, no, that's not enough. I can't be content with that. I need to go back. I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to where I've got, uh, where going to school was normal, playing football was normal, where everything, our, our best last days, whatever those days were before, whatever we think are the best, that's what we're asking God to restore us to. But I submit to you that God, every time God speaks of restoration, he speaks of being restored to the original intent of God. And the original intent of God is better than what you and I can even imagine. It contains more. As we yearn and I use the reference to Egypt, but it's right now in these days, as we are yearning to go back, to get things back to normal, whatever normal is, as we're yearning for that, God our Father is actually trying to pull us forward, uh, cause us to, you know, he went through um, and tore down, had them tear down all their idols, tore, tore down everything that they worshipped other than him and destroyed it. That's what he's trying to do to us, is to destroy those things that hold us so that we might be free, so that we might go into this kingdom that's going to exist here on earth where everything about God's original intent will be seen. No toll, no tears, no struggle, uh, no jealousy, no envy. You know, none of those characteristics that God has, has described about in the last days will be in that thing. This will be the mountain of the Lord that accurately and directly uh, reflects God's glory as he originally intended it. So I would ask you to simply do this. As you consider in all of our grumbling and mumbling about how bad things are and what we can't do and what our kids can't do, all that, that we might recognize that there is a God who knows everything who fully understands everything, who is wooing us into a better life, a 
culture and a kingdom that's totally different than anything we know, totally beyond our understanding. But he's wooing us into a place where, where he can nurture us as only he can do it. Consider, is, if he's sovereign, if he knows the end from the beginning, and if he loves mankind as much as we say, and if it is his nature to free us, free us to be exactly what he created us to be, maybe we should quit grumbling, maybe we should quit mumbling and be thankful for where we are and, and look with anticipation to where God's taken us. He has a better idea. God has a better idea. You, you and I can't dream up a day better than what God has intended for us. It's beyond our conception. So um, consider the ways of God as he pulls us into that new kingdom. Okay?